about to listen to a sermon from Newtown Erskineville Anglican Church. As a church, we want to see whole communities captivated by Jesus Christ and living out His freedom. We are going to continue our service now by turning to God's Word. Uh, in thankfulness and opening our hearts and minds to to listen. Uh, But we're going to begin actually by declaring our faith and the faith that the Scriptures speak of. So can I invite you, if you're able to, to stand and we'll say the Apostles' Creed together. I believe in God the Father. Make the... Sorry... That's the song. We have a song called the Apostles' Creed, and it is, do you know what? This is okay. We're going to sing this song after the sermon, and that will do. So sit down. (laughs) This is why we have this song, and I have stuffed up with the slides this morning. So we are going to turn to God's Word, but because that's a bumpy transition, how about I pray, and then Naduni, could you come and read the Scriptures? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and we praise you and we commit our way to you. Lord, give your blessing to us now as we listen. Teach us of your Son. In Jesus' name, amen. Hi, my name is Naduni. The Bible reading is 2 Timothy, chapter 1, verses 1 to 7. You can find the reading in the service sheet. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, to Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience as night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. For this reason, I remind you to fan into fame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, it gives us power, love, and self-discipline. I'm really sorry about that, guys, but it'll be a great thing to sing that song after the sermon, which is the plan. And was the original plan, I just mucked it up. So if you've got the Sheets you got on the, on the way in. The Bible passage is printed there. There's also a sermon outline, uh, which you might find helpful. Uh, so I am 41 years old, uh, almost 42. I'm in the thick of what's, or really at the beginning of what's called middle age. Uh, that means that I feel young in some ways uh, and old in other ways. And now young people sometimes think of me as old. Um, Uh, I frequently have this experience, actually, of thinking I'm talking to my peers. It especially happens in the evening service. I think I'm talking to my peers, and then I find out they're 10 or more years younger than me. 
Uh, it's a little bruising, to be honest. There are good things about this, though. Um, I now have some genuine experience, right? Not the kind of experience you have early on in your career when you rack your, bra your brains for ways you can use your job at Michelle's Patisserie to explain how you've demonstrated excellence in communicating with stakeholders. <laughs> but actual real experience, you know, where you actually meet job criteria with practical wisdom uh, learned from doing things over time. But experience also brings a danger. And the danger is the danger of faded enthusiasm, of a kind of cynicism towards the ideals of younger people that has grown from the experience of things being tougher, more work, and a little less dramatic than you'd hoped. Uh, this can be really depressing for young people, a wet blanket thrown on their excitement. Listen to this incredible quote from George Eliot. Uh, this is from her novel, Middlemarch. There is hardly any contact more depressing to a young, ardent creature than that of a mind in which years full of knowledge seem to have issued in a blank absence of interest or sympathy. I mean, that, that novel is just full of, of burns that you feel. Um, I think this is a particular danger for people like me who are leaving their youth and getting into their middle years or maybe their prime. Um, interestingly, I think this danger sometimes lessens as people actually get older. As people get older, sometimes they actually get clearer about the things that matter most. Uh, the danger of faded enthusiasm, I think, is a danger especially for those who have begun to learn wisdom but not yet learned enough of it. Now, I begin with these slightly self-indulgent reflections uh, because I think some of these dynamics are present in the letter of 2 Timothy, uh, which we are beginning to read at church this week and will take, us up, take up our attention this term. Um, it is a letter from an older man, the Apostle Paul, to a younger, Timothy. Paul is at the end of his life. He is in prison. Uh, he's been in prison multiple times, but he's in prison now for the last time. Uh, chained like a criminal, he says in chapter 2, and he feels himself to be near the end. He, he writes, I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time for my departure is near. In a real sense, the letter of 2 Timothy is the Apostle's last will and testament. Timothy, to whom Paul writes, is a younger man, but not a man at the very beginning. Sometimes we think of Timothy like that, but at this point he wasn't. By the time Paul writes to Timothy, Timothy has done quite a bit. He has been sent to strengthen the churches of Thessalonica, uh, he has worked alongside Paul in Corinth for some time. He's accompanied Paul on his third missionary journey. Um, and he's been sent repeatedly to lead and help the church in Corinth. He's got some experience. That is to say, Timothy is not a man at the very beginning of his ministry, but a man coming into his prime. And Paul writes to Timothy, an older man to a younger, to remind him of the things that really matter and to encourage him 
not to let his enthusiasm fade. It is a message we can all learn much from wherever we are up to, I think, but it is also, I believe, a timely word for this church community. For this church community is not at the beginning of its life cycle, nor, though, is it in its maturity. It is in its middle years. I think that like Timothy, we will benefit from being reminded to rekindle the gift that we were given at the beginning. So let's start at the beginning, uh, getting our bearings on the letter. So the first two verses simply introduce the sender and the recipient. Um, Well, in a way, simply. But just notice a couple of interesting details. The verses are printed there, if you want to have a look. First, notice that even though Paul knows Timothy well, he addresses him formally in a way that reminds him of his authority. He introduces himself as Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God. He also greets Timothy formally. To Timothy, my dear son, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Australians are allergic to formality in a way that is quite baffling to other cultures. We assume that people who are formal are arrogant or maybe entitled or something. Um, Now, sometimes this attitude has strengths, but often I think it also has weaknesses that we're not super aware of. Because what formality can do is remind us of things that familiarity can make us forget. It can remind us, in particular, of the reality of authority. Paul does not just write to Timothy as his friend of many years, which he could have. He writes as an apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I think this is partly because he expected Timothy to share this letter with others, but it's worth noticing all the same. There is definitely a place for dispensing with formality, with kind of being a bit unbuttoned, as the old British saying was. Um, But you can only dispense with something if you sometimes have it, right? You're not dispensing with formality if you're just always informal. That's just being informal. Um, Gospel ministry and church life are, I think, helped along sometimes by a little formality to remind us that there are, in fact, structures of authority. And if you want to know, this is one of the reasons I mostly wear a clerical collar in the morning service. Okay, that will probably be the most controversial thing I say today, and it's also the least important, so I'm just going to move on. Notice in the second place, two things Paul says here that he doesn't have to. He could easily have left out. Lovely things. First, he adds that wonderful phrase to his introduction, in keeping with the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. Did you notice that? Secondly, instead of just his customary, just the customary greetings, he says, grace, mercy, and peace. I think it's worth noticing both these things because they are almost offhand remarks. But sometimes offhand remarks are the most revealing, and these ones are a beautiful reminder of what the gospel meant to Paul at the end of his life. 
It was a promise of life and a message of grace, mercy, and peace. Don't let us ever forget that Jesus is, is really good news. For Jesus means a promise of life and grace, mercy, and peace from God. Sometimes in the cut and thrust of living and wrestling with things, we lose sight of the simple goodness of this. I think that as he neared the end, this simplicity had become newly clear to the apostle. As he faced death, he knew with, with, with great depth that what he had been on about, what Jesus was about, was life. I've made this the title of the series, uh, in keeping with the promise, uh, to help us not forget that either. Okay, well, Paul then moves on, as he does in almost all his letters, he moves on to thanksgiving, giving thanks. He tells Timothy that he is giving thanks for him. But the way that he does this is very purposeful. He wants Timothy to notice and to reflect on what he gives thanks for him about, about him. So let's read again from verse 3. I'll put it on the screen. It's also in your sheets. I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day I constantly remember you in my prayers, recalling your tears... I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice, and I'm persuaded now lives in you also. So Timothy was the son of a Jewish mother and a Greek father. We know this from when he's introduced in Acts chapter 16, if you want to have a look. Um, his mother, Eunice, um, and his grandmother Lois, great names, Great names, these, these they, they sound like, you know, my grandmother's generation. It's kind of really lovely. Um, they had been converted to Christianity at some point, and Timothy had been raised as a Christian. There's a wonderful affirmation here, by the way, of the Christian family and the way genuine faith can be passed from one generation to another. I pray that this is my children's testimony too, like Timothy's. And actually, before I forget, Rebecca prayed for a number of new babies. How wonderful. We also should mention Dahlia Tatsenko is the other baby who's come into our life uh, lately. I think we've got them all now. The danger of mentioning the names is we forget. So there are four babies lately. Praise God. Uh, and let's welcome them. But I pray that this is all of their testimony, right? That a sincere faith lived in their parents and now lives in them. Notice, though, two further things about the way Paul gives thanks. First, he emphasizes the continuity between his Jewish heritage and his Christian faith. He serves God, he says, as his ancestors did. Did you notice that? Paul could be highly critical of the Judaism of his day, but this should not be mistaken as, as writing it off completely. Paul believed that his ancestors served the same God as him, I think Paul emphasizes this continuity because it was also important to Timothy. Timothy came from a Jewish family and was probably deeply engaged to ministry in ministry to Jewish Christians. Uh, he was in Ephesus, that was where he was ministering, and Paul wants Timothy to draw strength 
from remembering that his work, which was difficult, it was cut from the same cloth as that of his Jewish ancestors. This links us to the second thing to notice, which is that Paul's emphasis here, which is Paul's emphasis here on remembering. Did you notice that Paul uses the language of remembering three times? I remember you. I recall your tears. I am reminded of your faith. The whole thanksgiving is put in terms of remembering. And by remembering, you see, Paul is also reminding. By telling Timothy what matters to him, what he remembers of him, sorry, his family, his history, his heritage, his journey with Paul and their affection for one another, he is simultaneously reminding him of these things. He is calling Timothy back to aspects of his story that maybe after years of work in another part of the world, away from his friends and family, maybe he was at risk of forgetting. It can be a kindness to someone to remember things about them that matter and to remind them. For it is a way of helping somebody remember who they are, where they come from and what is important to them. It can be a form of love to remember things about people and help them remember too. People forget themselves for a range of reasons. One reason is that they are dislocated. They have moved away from where they belonged and they have lost important connections. I think Timothy was in that kind of situation. He was a bit dislocated. He was ministering in Ephesus, which was quite a long way from his home in Derby and Lystra, a few hundred miles, which in those days, you know, it's a long way. Um, he was in a different city with a different geography. We often don't realise how much the people around us uh, help us kind of keep ourselves together. Um, but we do. We rely on the people around us to kind of hold us as people together in all sorts of ways. And when we're in a different place, especially on our own, as Timothy was, facing new challenges and new temptations, it can be easy just to feel like we don't really know who we are anymore, are in that kind of situation. Perhaps you've moved here from elsewhere. Why don't we help each other as a community? Why not ask someone else about their family, their hometown, their story. At staff meeting this week, I asked everybody to tell, tell, tell us something about a grandparent from this passage. Actually very enriching. It is a way of loving someone to help them to remember and to remember them. The kindness of remembering, of course, becomes critically important when a person loses their memory, perhaps in dementia. Sometimes then, all the remembering has to be done by those around them, for they can no longer do it themselves. Sometimes they cannot even really engage with it anymore. It can be dreadful. But it is not in itself the end of the world, because it is only an extension of what is always true of all of us, that we depend on each other to sustain our sense of ourselves. And sometimes at the end, we depend on one another completely. 
That is a tough burden for the people it's placed upon, but it's also an extraordinary privilege. Can't we give that to one another if we need it? Well, in the last verses we're looking at today, Paul goes on to recall Timothy's attention <clears throat> to one thing in particular. Let's read again from verse 6. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Here's the language of remembering again. But now Paul is explicit. He's reminding Timothy on the basis of what he remembers about him, of what he must do. There's no sense of him forcing him into something here. Rather, the sense is, this is what obviously follows. Given who you are, Timothy, you must want to fan into flame the gift of God. Maybe you forgot this, but now that you remember who you are, this will follow, won't it? You will want to rekindle your gift. What was this gift? What was this gift? It's easy to assume that it was some kind of ability, perhaps an ability in speaking. And I suspect that was part of it. I'm sure Timothy could speak. Um, but I think there is more to it than that. Gifts in the New Testament are never just about abilities. They are about a match between a person and their abilities and an opportunity for service, uh, an opening for a good work. That's the gift, not just an ability, but the opportunity to do it. Timothy's gift was a task. It was an opportunity to do a certain work of ministry. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Do not neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the body of elders laid their hands on you. I reckon we need to think of Timothy's gift as his commissioning for the ministry he was given. His gift, in a sense, is his ordination. That's what the laying on of hands is about. I did it this week. We ordained uh, the new rector of St. Matthias Centennial Park. Um, we laid hands on him and commissioned him for a task. A work of Timothy's gift is this work of ministry that has been opened up to him and that he was fit for in the providence of God. And what Paul reminds him is to, when, when Paul reminds him to rekindle this gift, he is reminding him to rekindle, to reignite his zeal and commitment to this work that he has been entrusted to. And the reason he should do this lies in the nature of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. What a fantastic set of words. God's Spirit is not like this. It's like this says Paul, not a spirit of timidity or weakness of resolve, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Paul wants Timothy to remember that he is not doing this work under his own strength. It is a gift, something given by the Spirit of God, and that spirit has a definite character, not cowardice, but power, 
love, and self-discipline. Now, that last word, self-discipline, can also be translated self-control or prudence or, or just kind of good judgment. Together, these three words form a coordinated picture of energy moving intelligently towards a goal, which is love. Controlled power in the service of love. That's the spirit God has given you, says Paul. That is the spirit God gave us too. For it is not just our spirit God gave Timothy, but the spirit God gives to all who trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit, God's own spiritual presence to enable us to live in Christ, to follow Jesus. And for all of us, he is, not, he is the same spirit, not a spirit that makes us timid, but a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. Some of us are naturally strong and courageous. I've known people like that. Um, Timothy wasn't. He wasn't a bullish kind of person. In 1 Timothy, Paul urges him, don't let anyone down on you. Look down on you because you are young. At another point, he says, stop drinking only water and use a little wine because of your stomach and your frequent illnesses. Doesn't that give you a picture of him a little bit? I suspect Timothy was a careful person, maybe a bit sensitive. The work of ministry, which sometimes meant standing up to people, opposing false teaching, dealing with people being annoyed at him, it seems like it was hard for him. I think his energy for the work had started to fade. It's easy for us to be timid. The other night we had our first all-in where we talked about the Meet Jesus campaign. Uh, we're part of as a church this year, as Peter talked about. And Peter asked us to give responses uh, anonymously as to why we find sharing the gospel hard. The most common responses, here's the thing that came up on the screen. I don't really know how it became this, but this is what ended up from the responses. The most common responses were about fear. I really appreciated people's honesty, fear, fear of rejection, fear of ridicule, fear of damaging relationships, nervousness. I get it. I feel that way too. But brothers and sisters, the spirit God gave us does not make us timid. but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. Just hear that word for a moment and let it settle in. And let it call you to step forward. For we too have a gift to fan into flame. As individuals, we have all kinds of opportunities set before us and abilities to serve God but we also have been given a gift as a church. The desire to share the good news of Jesus in this area, at this place and time. God has entrusted this community with a good work to do. We must not let the fire go out. 
We have set ourselves a bunch of challenges as a church. We are letting some people go from here to begin a new congregation at Erskineville, starting today. We are seeking to step forward boldly with the Meet Jesus campaign. We are praying for God to shape us deeply and make us more confident. There are other challenges that have been set for us that we didn't set ourselves and we'd rather not have. Resources, buildings, unexpected interruptions, changes. It can seem very daunting. It is enough to make you a bit timid. But let us remember we have been given a precious gift. The desire and the mission of sharing the good news of Christ with those around us. And what we have to share is something beautiful. The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. A message of grace, mercy and peace. And the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Don't let the fire go out, Neak. Amen? We'll try again. I don't normally do this, but I'm going to. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you for the gift of your Holy Spirit who brings us the promise of life that is in Christ Jesus, a message of grace, mercy, and peace. We praise you and ask that you fill us with that Spirit and give us power and love and self-discipline as we set ourselves to the task of ministry. For Jesus' sake, amen. Church podcast. For more audio content and information about our church, please visit neac.com.au.